Welcome back to our study of the Psalms. We are looking at Psalm 21 today. And Psalm 21 has a close connection to Psalm 20. And we saw last time that in Psalm 20, David prays for the salvation of the king. And that's uh, in a small sense related to Solomon, or in a near sense, we could say, related to Solomon, who, of course, was David's son who reigned on his throne after him. But ultimately, uh, it's about Jesus, right, who's the Messiah, the king, the anointed one, who comes from David's line, who reigns forever. And so we talked about how uh, David prays for uh, God to save the king, right, in Psalm 20. Now in Psalm 21, we're going to see how David expresses the king's joy in God's salvation and assures us that God will also defeat his enemies. Those two things, of course, go together. All right, so let's look at Psalm 21. We're going to focus on um, the first half of the psalm. It breaks pretty nicely into two parts, verses 1 through 7, uh, and then verses 8 through 12, and then 13 kind of stands as a conclusion by itself. So let's start with verse 1. It says, first of all, to the choir master, a psalm of David. Then verse 1 says, O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exults. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet with him, or excuse me, for you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you, you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. All right, so let's focus on uh, those first seven verses where uh, the king is rejoicing because of God's salvation. So notice in verse 1, the king does not rejoice, as we might expect, in his own strength or in the might of his armies or uh, the wisdom of his counsel or anything like that. He's not boasting in himself giving himself the credit or rejoicing in um, you know, what he is able to do on his own, but he's rejoicing in God's strength, right? The, uh, o Lord, in your strength, the king rejoices. So that's significant, right? And then verse 2 tells us that God heard and answered the king. So you have given him his heart's desire, it says, and have not withheld the request of his lips. So the king asked God for something and God gave it to him. God answered. God heard. And then uh, we read that God gives life and glory and blessing to the king. Uh, notice verse 3 says, you meet him with rich blessings. Right? And then it says, you set a crown of fine gold upon his head. Uh, verse 4, he asked life of you. You gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. So we got blessing already in verse 3. Life in verse 4. And then Glory in verse 5. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. And so God gives all these things to the king. The blessing, the life, the glory that the king has. Uh, they have been given to him by God, who the king is rejoicing in. Right, Rightly so. Um, then also it says that God's presence is what makes the king glad. In verse 6, you make him most Blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. So the king's joy, the king's gladness, 
comes from the presence of God. And then finally in this section, verse 7, it says that the king is established by God whom he trusts. So it says, for the king trusts in the Lord. His trust, again, is not in himself. Um, it's in the Lord. Uh, just like um, back in Psalm 20, verse 7, it said, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, or and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So here the king trusts in the Lord. He doesn't trust in his horses and his chariots, his army, his strength, his wisdom, anything like that. He trusts in the Lord. And then it says, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. So he is established. He is firm. He is steadfast because of God's steadfast love toward him. All right. So then verses 8 to 12, after uh, David has talked about how the king is rejoicing in God and in his strength and in all those things. Uh, now in verses 8 to 12, it talks about how God will judge his enemies. Of course, if the king has been delivered or rescued, um, then that would imply that he had enemies that he needed God to defeat for him. Um, and so it says in verse 6, your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. That's verse 8. Then into verse 9, you will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. All right, so um, God's enemies, verse 8 says, cannot escape his notice. Right, and God will find them out, it says in verse 8. Uh, so they cannot hide from God. Uh, and because they can't hide, they can't escape either. Verses 9 and 10 say that God will consume his enemies and their offspring. Right, so he's not just going to observe them. Uh, he's going to destroy them. Uh, verse 11 and 12 says that God will thwart the schemes of the wicked. Right, Verse 11 says, though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. So God is going to thwart his enemies. He's going to destroy his enemies. His enemies will not be able to escape him. And then it ends with verse 13. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Right? So again, uh, kind of closing where it began with God's strength, his might, his power, and rejoicing uh, in God. So that's what the psalm is about. Now, how do we connect this psalm to Jesus? Well, first of all, uh, when it says that the king um, is uh, given life and blessing and glory uh, from God, we see all these things play out right in the life of Jesus. So, for example, Jesus was crowned by his father in, in the Philippians chapter 2. After it describes how Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross, it says, starting in verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and so on. Right? So there's no mention of like a literal crown there, of course, but he's been crowned with honor, crowned with glory. He's been exalted to this high place. He's been given this name above all names. It's it's a crowning, right? Um, it's an exalting. And so that's uh, very similar to what David is talking about here. Also, Jesus also has life. 
uh, from God. And just like it says in um, verse 4, uh, he asked life of you. You gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. Nobody is that more true of than Jesus, who rose from the dead never to die again. Right? In fact, Romans 6, 9 says that we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So Jesus lives forever, and Jesus was glorified by his Father. In John 12, verse 28, Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And it says, a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And then John 17, 1 says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. So whether in that first passage, um, the Father is glorifying his name through glorifying Jesus, uh, is, is not, you know, maybe clear right on the surface. It's a good possibility that's what it's talking about, but it is clear in chapter 17, uh, verse 1 of the Gospel of John. Also, Jesus, of course, delights in the Father's presence when it says in uh, Psalm 21, verse 6, you make him glad with the joy of your presence. Jesus loves the presence of God. In fact, uh, in John 17, verse 5, he prays this. He says, now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, granted, the word joy is not in there, but clearly that's something Jesus desires. He wants. He wants to be back in the Father's presence. That's where he loves to be. And then uh, just as uh, it says in verses 8 to 12 of Psalm 21 that God is going to judge his enemies, uh, so Jesus will judge his enemies when he returns. Uh, in fact, in Second uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, it says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you, and he's talking to Christians here, you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. That would be their enemies, right? Uh, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So Jesus, too, is going to come and bring judgment on his enemies at the end. And then finally, what can we uh, pray for from Psalm one, how do, or Psalm 21? How does Psalm 21 teach us to pray? Well, we should rejoice in what God has done for Jesus. Just like in Psalm 21, the king is rejoicing in what God has done for him. We should rejoice in what God has done for Jesus. We should also remember that God will put an end to the wicked. We, of course, want the wicked to repent. We want them to be saved. But we also know that not everybody is going to repent, uh, sadly, right? But there still needs to be an end to wickedness and evil. Uh, and the Bible tells us that that is going to happen. There is going to come a day when those who have refused to repent, refused to turn to God, who persisted in their evil and their wickedness, God will put an end to that, right? God will defeat them, um, and they will bear uh, the punishment of their uh, rebellion against God. And then finally, we should celebrate God's power. That's how Psalm 21 ends. It's good for us to remember, God, we're so glad 
that you are so mighty, so powerful, so great, so strong, that we can trust you to deliver us, to carry our burdens, to handle our problems, and yes, even to defeat our enemies. God, that's 